0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we continue our series, Abraham, Father of All Who Believe, with a message entitled, Learning to Trust God. So let's join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: I was six years old when my dad was building the farmhouse in which I was to live until the day that I graduated from high school. The basement had already been dug and the floor was being completed. It was made of concrete and now dad was working on the the nailing of the plywood onto the main floor. I was sitting beside him as he worked my back toward an open hole down into the basement. I was rocking backwards and forwards and talking to my dad as he worked and when suddenly I fell backward through the wooden joists into the open basement below head first straight toward the concrete. Somehow and here my memory is just a bit foggy but but somehow I managed to catch my arm on one of the joists and was left hanging on for dear life. My dad immediately ran to me and reached out his arm saying take hold of my hand son and, I, and I'll pull you up. But if I were to let go, I would then be holding on with only one hand. And could I only hold on for but a moment and then fall to the floor below? What if Dad couldn't hold on to me? I was, I was terrified. But my father was a very powerful man. That I knew quite well. At times he would throw my brother and I up into the air and catch us with ease. There was not a chance that he would drop me. So I let go and with one hand reached out to him and his strong arm grabbed me and whisked me up with ease. You know, as I think about that now, it just never occurred to me that Dad would drop me. If there was anything I knew about my father, it was that I could trust him. After all, I knew him, and he wouldn't fail. See, that same principle works in our relationship with God. To the extent that we know God, to that extent, we gain confidence regarding our God. Now, that confidence grows not just in our personal experience. Yeah, it does grow there, but it grows when in reading the Bible— We're introduced to people who found that not one of the promises of God ever failed, who faced overwhelming difficulties, but found that no human circumstance is greater than God. Read about these people and your faith will grow. Now, we're going to be studying Genesis 11, verse 27 to the end of chapter 17. It's the account of the life of Abraham until just before the birth of his son Isaac. It's an account that we might call against all odds. Because the more we think about Abraham's life, the more we think that what occurred to him, from the merely human perspective, seems like the most unlikely of scenarios. But before we get into the description of his life and times, let's take just a moment and step back and locate the story in the overall storyline of the Bible. So let's state the obvious. The story of Abraham begins very close to the beginning of the Bible. It sets the stage for the entire Bible. As we should know, the Bible is an account of the speech of God. Let's go back to the first three verses in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. The story of Genesis, indeed the story of the Bible, begins by telling us that the universe exists because of God. He, that is God, existed before anything else came into being, and then, in a time in which the earth was chaotic, this wasteland unfit for any life form, God spoke, and with each word that he speaks, order replaces chaos on the earth. Now, I mention this to point out two things. First, that God is not silent, but that he is a speaking God. Second, when God speaks, what he says always brings about that which he says. Whether God speaks and light comes upon the earth or whether God speaks to Abram and promises him a land, a very large offspring like the grains of sand, and a blessing that will envelop the earth, whatever God says happens. That's because God's speech is creative. It calls things that are not and brings them into being. God's speech is unlike all other speech. Now, let's go forward to Genesis 1 verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, it's technically incorrect to say that the story of the Bible is a story of the great creator and his creation. For as a matter of fact, the Bible is the story of the great creator and his most significant creation, that is, human beings. This is the story of the creation of a man and a woman. Not just a higher order of animal, but a being that expresses the character of God himself with the ability to hear and to speak with God. Now, years ago, while I was teaching a course entitled Christianity and Contemporary Thought, I was teaching it at a Bible college. I asked a secular science teacher who was both an atheist and a believer in evolutionary biology to come into the class and to explain and to defend his position. See, I'll never forget a statement that he made in my class. He said, if the world ended tomorrow in a nuclear explosion so that all human life would immediately come to an end, there would be nobody to watch, there would be nobody to care, and it wouldn't ultimately mean a thing. Now, there is somebody to watch, and there is somebody who cares, and there is someone who created man not as an accident in a meaningless universe— but rather that the earth was created to sustain man. That's why the earth exists, and more so. The earth was created so that man could learn to rule it under the watchful eye of God. Yes, we matter more than we will ever grasp. It does mean something, for we are image bearers of God. But the tragedy in the book of Genesis is that our first parents decided that they would rather live as if there was no God. That they'd rather be their own gods and so we are the children of Adam and we would rather say, learn to trust yourself rather than learn to trust God. And so the story of the ruined humanity begins. Adam and Eve sign their declaration of independence from God. One of their sons murders his brother. Sin begins to creep into every single aspect of our humanity civilization becomes divided. There is the city of God and the city of man, or the people of God and the people who love only themselves and despise the one true creator, God. Wars ensue. Human life becomes cheap. The people of God are ethnically cleansed until only one family among them remains. And God then visits this planet with judgment, with a horrible flood that will destroy all with the exception of that one family. And this sets the stage for what's to follow. One family remains after the flood, and human life begins again. But in order to prevent the same cycle of violence and hatred against the people of God, God divides the human race, and they begin to spread out over the face of the earth with different languages and different cultures and different religious expressions so that it might seem that the knowledge of the one true God will be forgotten. And it's precisely here that our story— The story of a man named Abram, whose life would impact the whole world, it's now that the story begins. The account begins in Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And with those words, to a man who lived in a city of Haran, the life not just of one man was altered, but the story of the human race will never be the same. See, most of us know the story. Abraham would have a son. His name would be Isaac. Isaac would have a son. His name would be Jacob. Jacob would have 12 sons, and they would form the heads of the 12 tribes under the headship of the God of Abraham. From those 12 tribes, a people would begin to grow until they reached some 2 million people who would inherit the land promised to Abraham. And unlike the conditions that existed before the flood, this time things would be different the divisions in the human race would prevent the world from persecuting the chosen people of God out of existence. God was demonstrating that his original purpose to create a people for himself who would rule over the works of his hands would not fail. After all, when he speaks, everything he says comes into being. Now, please notice that if there's anything that the account of Abraham will teach us, it is not only that when God speaks, he can be trusted or he can be counted on. But the story also tells us that God is not just calling individuals. He is in the business of calling a community of peoples, not just individuals who believe the way that Abraham did, but rather a family of people who have learned corporately to trust in their God together. And in the end, we will see that the church of Jesus is the fulfillment of all that God had in mind when he called Abraham, a church that will rule and reign with Christ for all of eternity. See, the story of Abraham is the beginning of that story. But even though I'm getting ahead of myself, we are left to wonder at the amazing implications that this one man's life actually represents for us.
0: This coming April 2019, you'll want to make plans to join the team at Back to the Bible Canada for our 2019 Israel Experience. This is a vacation, a tour that is destined to change your life and your perspective of God's Word. Join Dr. Newfeld as he teaches at so many of the critical locations depicted in Scripture. Enjoy inspirational music and worship with friends and musical guests Shane and Angela Weeb, and be refreshed and encouraged by the Ministry of Laugh-Again's own Phil Calloway. If you've been thinking about a journey to Israel, now is the time. Visit Jerusalem, the Garden Tomb, the Sea of Galilee, and so many other incredible locations experience Israel for yourself. Walk where Jesus walked and taught. If this is your year, call us soon as time to register is limited and we're coming close to capacity. Join us this coming April 28th to May 6th for Back to the Bible Canada's Israel Experience. For more information, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425.
1: The story of Abraham's life truly is a story against all odds. Indeed, it's the story of a man who believed God against the physical evidence. Let's find out how. First of all, Abraham's life is a struggle to trust God in the face of a series of conflicts or tests or problems. Abraham is told that he will be the father of a great nation, and yet he must face a fact. Genesis 11.30 says, Now, Sarah, that's Abram's wife, was barren. She had no child. Now, that's a significant part of the story. For unlike our culture, in which barrenness does not create a stigma, most human cultures have not thought of things in the same manner. Barrenness was considered a curse. But that's not Abram's only problem. Genesis 12.10 has Abram arriving into the land where God directed him. And immediately we read, Now, there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So Abram no sooner comes to the end of his sojournings when he finds that the land of promise is subject to crop failures and drought that's so severe that people die there for lack of food. I mean, what kind of a promise has he received from God? How is he to believe that God has called him when there's no job, when there's nothing to eat? And then there's the problem that everybody in Egypt wants his wife So he tells them she's his sister. He's afraid that they're going to kill him on account of her beauty. Indeed, as the story develops, we will see on numerous occasions that he's left without protection in a part of the world where his murder would not have resulted in any trial at all. Then in chapter 13, he ends up struggling with Lot, his nephew, a young man Abram took along because of his own graciousness. Lot wants the very land God promised to Abram. Chapter 13, verses 8 and 9 says, Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. It's not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And so Abram's greedy, ungrateful nephew takes the very best land for himself. Then comes chapter 14. It's, It's war. Chapter 15, Abraham has to face the fact that his body is withering. He's now very old, and he still has no child. Chapter 16, Abram and Sarah devise a plan, and Abram impregnates Sarah's maidservant. And chapter 17, when God promises Abraham that by this time next year, Sarah will have a child. And Sarah hears of it and almost drops over laughing. I mean, who would believe such foolishness? So here's who Abraham is. He's the father of those who have faith in God, who believe when God has spoken over other physical evidence. So let's ask, what kind of faith did Abram have? First, his life is a life of faith in the face of struggle and hardship. I mean, do you think faith is easy? Well, if you do, then you've never tried it. It's kind of like what happened to the ruler from the synagogue, a man named Jairus, who comes to Jesus to ask him to heal his daughter. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. We're told later that the crowd laughed at Jesus, knowing that the girl was dead, and Jairus, well, he had a choice to make, didn't he? Whom was he going to believe? The cold, lifeless corpse of his daughter— For the word of one who told him he was the Lord over life and death. See, it's the same question for us. Whom will you believe? Someone's going to say, well, you don't know how hopeless my situation is. My checkbook is overdrawn. My job's finished. My spouse is leaving me. The kids hate me. My parents never call. I think I have cancer. Let me say to you, God calls us to believe in him and in his promises in the face of an overwhelming struggle. Now, the second lesson we learn from Abram is that the life of faith is not static. It progresses, it grows, it gains in confidence over time. Abram is held out in the New Testament as the ultimate example of a person who lived his life in faith, but it didn't start that way. Abram began in the school of faith in what we might call grade school. God called him to leave his past behind. You know, that's our call of faith as well. Leave your past. Leave your sin. Leave your love for this world. Leave your community of friends and come to the community of God's people. I call that grade school faith. But then Abram went off to university to the undergraduate degree in faith. Chapter 15, he faces the fact that his body is petrified like, like an old tree. And God says, believe. Now, at that stage, God is asking Abram to live in a holy imagination, an imagination that flies into the face of the harsh realities of life. But it's not an imagination based upon whatever Abraham would come up with. It's an imagination informed by the direct promises of God. And God takes him for a walk and says, Abram, count the stars, so shall your offspring be. That's the middle stage of faith. It's, it's the call to believe in spite of what the world tells you. It's to take hold of every great and precious promise and to begin to imagine what it would be like for you. It's to enter fully into the world of confident trust in a God who makes and keeps promises. But Abram's faith did not end there. He went on to graduate school. And he earned a PhD in faith. That happens in chapter 22. It's been a long period of time now. Sarah has become pregnant at 90 years of age. They have a son, and God speaks to the old man. Genesis 22 tells of God's call to take his son Isaac and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Here now is the ultimate test. And that's what Abraham learns. He learns that living in a reality informed by the Word of God entails a radical obedience to do whatever God calls and to believe that no matter what God promises, in the life of a man of faith, God's promises simply cannot and will not fail. Do you want to know what Abraham learned? He learned that God's Word is the only secure thing that there is. Nothing else can possibly be relied upon. In grade school, Abraham left his past. In university, he lived in the world of a holy imagination, informed by God's promises. In graduate school, his faith had so progressed that he would do anything that God called him to do, and he would obey out of his confident trust in his God. That's why Abraham's faith touched the world. In the end, he only saw the hand of God. God was God. He was never silent. God was always speaking, and all that God said would surely come to pass. See, in our study of Abraham, we will see him as a man not only of faith, but a man of an inextinguishable hope, not despair, hope. He believes God will bless the world through him. He believes in a promised land. He believes in a city whose maker and builder is God. He sees what so few of us see, that it is insane to make one's home here in this earth of shattered dreams. He is on the move to something better. But as we study Abraham, we will see one more thing. We will see at all points that his life constantly points toward Jesus. There's so much in Abraham's life that leads us to Jesus. God promises that he will give Abraham a son and that this promise is the hope of the world. And ultimately, that son is Jesus. And on top of that, the birth of Isaac was only possible because of a miracle. And that is how Jesus was born. And then, of course, there's the sacrifice of Isaac on Mount Moriah. And that was the very place where 2,000 years later, Jesus himself was sacrificed on a wooden cross. And that's the point of the whole story. Faith always leads us to Christ. Hebrews twelve two puts it nicely. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so in this study, let me challenge you to, to follow the footsteps of a man whose life changed the world. I want to challenge you, my dear listener, to see how God has an answer for our ruined humanity, for our sin, for our problems, and for all of our struggles. The greatest challenge that you will ever face is simply this, will you trust him who has spoken? Or will you fall into the seductive allure of despair? Abraham's life is the lesson for the world, that the world is passing away, and that in the end, all that any of us has that is ultimately reliable is the word of God, his promises, and his declarations. That and that alone is more reliable than anything that this world has to offer. And so if you're listening to this message and are overwhelmed with grief or uncertainty or worry and disappointment, fear, even despair from from this one man who changed the world, learn to make your first reflex to all of your problems, God, I will remember the promises that he has made and on that ground, I will plant my flag. I will learn to trust you. John, thanks
0: so much for your message today. I think it's an uplifting one because I think people can see in the life of Abraham some sense of hope that they can depend upon God's promises. You know, we live in a world with so much grief and uncertainty and worry and disappointment, like you've said. So it's really important for us to learn from this message, isn't it? That we can depend upon the promises of God.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, the promises of God are the antidote for every hard experiences that we face today. and let me say it again. I mean, the, the, the promises of God are the antidote for all of our problems. No matter what you're going through today, there is a promise in Scripture that relates directly to you. And if you can learn to trust God in the middle of that, apply a definite promise to it, then you can learn to be like Abraham and you can, you can, you can succeed and uh, and be victorious in everything that you face.
0: John, that's a great message, and we really do want to encourage our listeners today. You know what? You can go to the Word of God, and you can seek out the answers for the very most difficult of life circumstances.
1: Yeah, there really is a promise that relates directly to you. I think what we need to discipline ourselves to do is to mine the Scripture and find all of the promises that relate to us, and to know how to apply them.
0: A great word of encouragement. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day.. Ministry Monthly partner Ellen wrote, "The Bible teaching I receive from back to the Bible Canada is outstanding. And Dr. Newfeld's delivery is thoughtful, honest and clear. I'm so happy the program is available to me daily, in my home, and to others across Canada. I wanted to continue, and that's why I chose to become a monthly partner. Well, Ellen, among hundreds of others, have become part of the backbone of all of the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada by joining the Partner to Tell monthly partnership program. If you've been impacted by the Bible teaching of Dr. Newfeld, the words of hope from Laugh Again, or directly or indirectly by the young adult ministry, In Doubt, can I suggest that you take the leap and become a Partner to Tell monthly partner today? It's simple, yet so important. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit
1: backtothebible.ca.